welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host. Our guest is a great friend, EWTN host and favorite, Dr. Ray Garendi. His book, Simple Steps to a Stronger Marriage, proudly published by EWTN Publishing and naturally available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Great How many to be times with have you, we Dr. been together Ray. on Bookmark? Did you can you consider me a co-host? Uh, you you would probably bring a lot of viewers to the show. <laughs> that that I can imagine. Uh, it's multiple shows over the years and multiple well, books and a lot. a lot of great books that EWTN Publishing has been able to put out of yours. Uh, some of the older editions that have been revamped, which this one is, right? Mm -hmm. So simple steps to a stronger marriage. From the time you originally wrote it, about 10 years, 11 years ago, to now, have things changed? No. Uh, there's a phenomenon in the book I call the cascade effect. Mm -hmm. A parent will come into my office totally not enjoying their child. Kid's five. Doesn't listen, not cooperative, oppositional. So I might suggest something like, well, when he is disruptive, disobedient, one time, mm -hmm. make your request. After that, he goes to the corner, and if he refuses the corner, you shut down all privileges until he serves it. Can you do that? We can do that. Okay. So they come back two weeks later, and I ask, how's he doing? Well, first of all, he's much more pleasant. He told us how much he loved us more than he's told us mm -hmm. in the last year. I said, all because a, a corner mm -hmm. and a, a follow-through on discipline? They said, yes. I said, it's cascade effect. Mm -hmm. Look what it did. It, it changed your relationship. That's kind of the theme of the book. These, temp, these things will change now, your relationship. Their, the, their relationship with the child or their relationship with husband and wife? Parallels are the same. Mm -hmm. Their relationship with the five-year-old changed. Of course, sometimes my wife thinks I'm comparable to a five-year-old in our relationship. But that can change, too, by doing some simple things. And the irony, Doug, is we don't do them. That's the irony. They're so simple. They're so easy. But we resist. I spend more than half the book talking about how to get you past your resistance. Well, you say to my wife, Randy, who, who else, of course, who makes me a better husband just by being the wife she is, what is she that makes you better? She's easy to live with. Mm -hmm. She's just flat out easy to live with. And I tell her this. I said, honey, you know, I had to do a lot of work shaping you up, mm -hmm. but it's paid off. Okay, you're, you're, you're bearing the fruit now? <laughs> That's very good. What I thought was interesting, too, when you talked even about the relationship with the children and that cascade effect, also the idea that sometimes a child will build or a parent will build an emotional alliance with one child or another and use that as a power thing inside the marriage. Parents will say to me, do you like one child more than another? And I'll say, well, if we were being blunt about this, uh, it is easier to relate mm -hmm. to some children than others. It doesn't mean you don't commit your love to them. It just means their personality is easier for yours mm -hmm. to mesh with. That's, con that's routine. I think there's this nonsense notion that all children across the board you should relate to equally well. Some of them are tough. Mm -hmm. Well, I think people try and figure out also, is the child a function of the genetics or of how we raise them, and they have trouble explaining the differences then. When I was in grad school, Doug, nurture ruled. 
Yeah, you had this slate here that you could just kind of write upon, and then you would have the, the end product. Rasa. There it was. Rasa. And with yeah. the research coming out more and more and more and more, they're finding that how you're wired is enormously powerful in who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. It's not destiny, but it sure throws a lot of predispositions into the mix. Now, you say there's no secrets to a happy marriage, so what's the point of this book? Because the point of the book is, people will say to me, what's the toughest part of doing therapy? Is it that you don't know what to say? Nah, I've been doing it long enough that there's not too much I haven't heard many times. What is it? I said, it is convincing people to do it. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part in writing that book. That's the Nike just do it. Kind of yeah, how do I there. get you past your resistance to saying I'm sorry? How do I get you past your resistance to never use the D word? How do I get you past your resistance to just shut up for one minute and listen to what the person is saying without defending yourself? How do, how do I get you through that place? That's a lot of what the book is. It's not so much, you know, if, if you want to 10 simple steps, you can go to a woman's magazine, mm -hmm. you know, 10 secrets to a happy, healthy home. Right. The difference is we resist those things for our own motives. And so much of what I'm talking about in that book is I got to get you past your resistance. You also talk about something called daily discontented. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of divorces come from. I don't like you anymore. Mm -hmm. I saw statistics that about 80% of divorces are not because of pathology. No alcoholism, no unfaithfulness, no abuse or neglect. It's just, we just, we just, don't get along. We, we have drifted in so many ways that I don't like living with you at all. It seems to be the main, the main drift. And the, and the good news with that is that you can, you can conquer that stuff. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not the end all. You can change it. But society says, well, if you're unhappy, you should get out of the situation that's making you un unhappy because you need to be fulfilled. That's what society says. How's society doing mm -hmm. in putting our culture together? How has, how has it succeeded in its wisdom? Now, you talk about the, the actuality that there is a secret to good marriage, but that secret is pretty simple, hence the book title. It's common sense. You say, most likely you know many of the ideas already, yet perhaps you and your spouse have ignored or resisted them, thinking them too minor to make a major difference. So is the fear one of trust in the relationship a lot of times between the in the couple's relationship? We are wired to act out of personal interest. If I know that I'm sorry is called for, for what I said, what I did, why wouldn't I? Well, what's it say about me? I'm a loser. You're better than me. I'm all wrong, you're all right. You'll throw the I'm sorry back in my face. Yeah, I think that's a big one. That's okay. there. So there are, there are these self-protective interests that I'm not gonna do what I know is good and right to do because I gotta defend me, I gotta protect me. There's something in the book that I call the personal apology percentage, mm -hmm. Doug. How wrong do you have to be before you apologize? Mm -hmm. So for most people, it's 50%. I got, I got to assess, and again, this is subjective. Mm -hmm. I got to assess that I'm at least 50% wrong. Well, okay, you had a 22-minute argument. 
And in that argument, you were badgered, you were nagged at, you tried to keep your cool, but ultimately, you're cursed. You lost it. 100 people look at that argument and say, well, I'm going to say I'm going to give you 12% of the blame. I'll give the other person 88. Are you going to apologize for your 12 mm. or not? Are you going to say, wait a minute, no, 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 I'm, I'm not the one who was mostly wrong here. Or are you going to say, I'm, I cursed. Mm. I'm sorry I cursed. That was wrong. Now, the risk in that is the other person thinks, well, <laughs> see, you are the one that's wrong. No, you're just apologizing for your 12%. Well, you think also that, and, and you know, I think of I'm Sorry and a song by Brenda Lee years ago. <laughs> sorry, uh, so sorry. <laughs> sorry, right? Which play in my mind many times in my life. But, you know, you, in some ways, and I know you mentioned marriage encounters, one of the things that uh, people can use and help build stronger marriages in the book, though it's not as popular and as round as much as it used to be, it's still out there and people can find it. But the idea of moving beyond I'm sorry to, in a sense, forgiveness asking for, please forgive me for what I've done, rather than just, I'm sorry that I might have hurt you. That's even riskier. Mm -hmm. Now I'm putting it in your hands. Right. Now, I can say I'm sorry, so I've done my part. But now you have to say I forgive you. I can't, I can't control that. Right. And that's the other thing I tell spouses. If you're not willing to say I forgive you, then you might as well count on getting less I'm sorry's. Now you say here, uh, one just caution, and typically uh, just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy, and you also t we just need to do what we know. Each chapter presents a small step followed by resistance rationales, uh, and those are the closing reasons, like you said, why people don't do things. And the closing chapter is a scenario dialogue. Now the dialogue's based on your own personal experiences in dealing with people or are they things out of whole cloth? They are common scenarios between men and women and I step into the scene to try to commentary and talk them out of trouble. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, we use some of those scenarios for the TV show. Mm -hmm. What we'll do is we'll have actors portray those scenes and then I step in on a green screen and say, okay, do you see what she just said? How do you think he's going to react to a remark like that? Mm -hmm. Now, you also talk about the, the fact of a relationship as a tax audit. <laughs> well, or a root canal. Right. <laughs> doesn't sound like a great way to describe a relationship. What do you mean, a tax audit? Well, I think basically what happens is if, if you're saying to someone, you need to do these things to improve your relationship, and they say to you, well, you know, that for me to do that would be about as welcome as a tax audit. Mm -hmm. It's their resistance. It's their overall resistance. And you got to show them, or at least make the case, mm -hmm. this will make your life better. Mm -hmm. You're not doing this necessary to only make the other person's life better. This is going to redound to you. Right. At the end of there, where you have, after the scenario you have in this section, uh, the last word, and you say there is an unexpected bonus to apologies. What's the unexpected bonus? The other person will apologize more. It's real mm -hmm. simple. Mm -hmm. Very few people will will listen to a person willing to apologize mm -hmm. and become even more stiff in their resistance. Well, okay, I shouldn't have said what I said right. either. I'm sorry. It's like if you pray some pr pray for somebody, it's tough to be mad at them. Yes, yeah. it is. An interesting thing about apologies. Have you noticed, Doug, that we talk better than we do? Hey, let's get together for lunch, you and I, huh? I'm going to give you a call. We'll get together for lunch. I mean, we haven't talked to each other for a long time. Let's do that. So you, I see your phone number there. That's Doug. Yeah, I'll just not, I, don't, 
I can't get together with him for lunch, that, that, not this month anyway. The interesting thing about apologies is they are easier to do than to say. Mm-hmm. Had an experience once, I walked into a florist and I said, I need a, I need a flower, please. The florist said, what'd you do? <laughs> I said, what do you mean, what did I do? I said, she goes, guys come in here, it's not a holiday, <laughs> they've done something wrong. I said, oh, come on, I said, no, that may be the average guy, not my wife. So I went home and I put this flower out, you know, like a kid with a stinkweed <laughs> behind his back to his mom. She goes, what'd you do? do. <laughs> I go, What's up, were you right? ever a florist? That's <laughs> like this. But, but that's what we do because it's easier for us to act. Sorry, I'll be nice for a while. Mm-hmm. I'll let time soothe the wound. But as long as I don't have to say I'm sorry, I can just be I'm sorry. And that's, that's a safer way to do it. In, in step two is don't say it. You say we speak too quickly for our own and others' goods when the heart overwhelms the head, unwanted repercussions follow. I'd say 80% of everything I regret, I said during peak emotion. I don't generally premeditate. All right, you know what? I can't wait till I see Doug again because I'm gonna let him have it. No, I'm at peak, I'm at peak heat when I say this stuff. Mm-hmm. And peak heat doesn't last very long. What you don't realize is physiologically, you don't stay at that state very long. 10 seconds, 20 seconds. So if you can just let that peak just kind of start to subside, your self-control can take over. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have quite as much self-control not to scream at your mother-in-law if you realize, when I most feel like saying it, I'm not gonna say it. Mm -hmm. You ever hear the phrase, you never have to apologize for what you didn't say? Right. I think that's a good way to live. It's called biting your tongue. Uh, You say, conventional advice, struggling couples is to make more time for each other, date nights, etc. You say, however, there is an interesting twist on this theme. It isn't so much adding positive, but subtracting negative that promotes healing. Reducing disrespect and harsh words does more to repair a relationship than dinner at Luigi's. Why would I want to go out to dinner with you if the last three days because I you, pick up the you, check. Well, you, yeah, I've read, I've read that you do that for other people. Oh, okay. I've not seen it personally. <laughs> for the last three days, you've, you've talked to me in a scolding kind of nasty way. Oh, okay, well, let's go have, let's go have dinner. Why? I don't want to be with you. Mm-hmm. What they found was in those studies that if you can reduce the negative talk to your spouse, the date night goes better, mm-hmm. a lot better, more willingness. Mm-hmm. Now, you t- also talk here in one of the resistance rationales, and I was thinking of this one as, as, as just a general concept in the society we live in today. I can't help the way I feel. Mm. Everybody talks about, well, this is how I feel about it. When they think they, They're saying it as if they're thinking, they're feeling, and then you challenge it, and it's like, well, it doesn't matter because you can't tell me how I should feel. When I was in grad school, feelings were the coin of the realm. Mm. We spoke feelings, we talked feelings, we felt feelings, we never challenged feelings. You can't challenge somebody's feelings. But the the irony is feelings follow thoughts. When I say I can't help the way I feel, I should better say I can't help the way I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Because the way I'm thinking, if I'm really, really, really angry at you as my spouse, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't help it. I mean, I'm just mad at her. I'm just mad at her for, for, for her to say that to me in front of my mother. Mm-hmm. I'm telling myself, she had no right to do that. Right. I didn't deserve that. I don't do that to her. Who does she think she is? 
my mother's going to think less of me. All these thoughts are percolating in my head to create that feeling, and then the feeling is unassailable. Mm -hmm. That's not true. I always tell clients, you've got to get to the root of what you're thinking behind that feeling, because right. that feeling doesn't control you. If it is, if, if we're rooted to our feelings, give it up. Right. We're just, we're just reflex actions right. now. I know in marriage, account, I used to kind of be like, well, a feeling's not right or wrong. It, it, it is, but it's what you do with it. So, and I know mm. that you don't quite agree with no, that. not quite. But I mean, at least in the idea of saying you get upset, but the question, okay, I got upset initially. I couldn't control that. I, what you said annoyed me. But what do I do with that annoyance? Do I let that go away and do I realize that's not an issue? Or do I bring it up to you? What do I do with that? The objection I have to this feelings are neither right or wrong. Right. What if I went up to my wife and said, you know, honey, I got to tell you, I, I got feelings of lust for these three women, but I want you to know I'm not going to do anything with right. them, okay? So you should feel comfortable. And if my wife says to me, well, Ray, I typically think you're one of the biggest jerks in the world. I just, I, I feel that you're just an obnoxious human being, but I'm not going to act on it. Now, would either of those make us feel good? No, right. those, are, those are ugly feelings. Those are right. ugly right. preoccupations. So what I tell folks is that if you've got those kind of feelings, you've got to look at the root of them. Where, right. where are you coming from with that? How is that happening? Well, most of the time you, you realize that when you get upset about stupid things, they're just indicative that there's something else underneath that you're actually upset about or annoyed about. And this is just pricking it, right? In one of my books, I talk about being unoffendable. Mm -hmm. And being prickly and offendable easily is, how dare you? How dare you say that about me? I'm not like that. Mm -hmm. You should look at yourself because maybe you'd see a little bit of you in your accusation. We, we get very perturbed mm -hmm. that you say this. You know, lawyers will tell you this. Well, you would know this, Doug, in the, when you work, anybody can sue anything for anybody can sue anybody for right. anything. Yeah. Well, there's a social parallel. Anybody can say anything about anybody at any time. Especially in the world of social media today. Yes, even you more can't so. control any of that. Right. But if you're going to be offended, like in a marriage, you know, I, I, yes, yes, I'm mad. Do you know why? I'm going to tell you what she said to me four days ago. I couldn't believe she said this. How long are you going to cling to something like that? She had no right to say that. Right. But she said it. Right. Okay. In the last word, you talk about something about it, like having a seven-second delay, like in radio. Is that your idea of, of thinking before you react? Well, I was a little offended because I was informed by the powers that be at EWTN Radio that my delay is 56 minutes. Yes. And they said pretty much they delay the whole show because of me, the host. So that's a pretty long broadcast delay. I think a broadcast delay in anything you say to anybody is wise. Mm -hmm. We don't do it because we think my feelings are telling me to say it. Right. Rather than, will I still feel this way an hour from now? Okay, what you said or what you did just incensed me. Right. So what do you say to someone who says, well, the trouble, if you're not expressing yourself, you're burying these feelings uh -huh. live and they'll come <laughs> out in some right. other way. That's exactly right. That's old theory. Mm -hmm. That is really old theory. It's a catharsis theory. You've got you to get it out because otherwise it's gurgling down there. You're going to have all kinds of psychological repercussions. In fact, the research says this. The more likely you are to vent, the more you will vent. Hmm. 
it becomes a style. I tell it like it is. I got to get it off my chest. You know what I feel, Doug. There's no doubts about what I feel. Yeah, and what does that do to relationships? Mm -hmm. Did you ever have somebody after you vented on them go, Doug, I feel close to you now. Right. I feel better. We, we, we have an authenticity to our connection. Now you said, you used the word, uh, the D word before, uh, and you say dump the D word, uh, meaning divorce. Why do, you need, why do you believe you need to take that off the table right away? Because once it's said in some way, well, you know, maybe we ought to think about how well-suited we are for each other. Maybe we ought to think about how long this marriage is going to last. Once you crack that door open, it becomes an option. If it is not an option, don't use it as a threat. Don't use it as the big club. I can't get you to change any other way, so I am going to bring up the idea to scare you that, you know, I'm not completely attached to this marriage. I'm not completely committed, even though many people who use the D word have no desire to do that. So just leave it out of your vocabulary because it mm -hmm. does devastating things to a marriage. Now in the back you kind of have a thing called the ladder where you kind of uh, sum up everything that you've got working through your different steps. And step number eight, protect. There's only one foolproof way to escape discipline disagreements between spouses. Don't let the children in the house when you're awake anyway. Is that what you've been doing <laughs> over the years or what? My wife and I, since our last child is at home and when she finally leaves, we're getting into a parent protection program. Mm -hmm. where They're going to alter our identities, relocate us in Montana. One of the things I hear from spouses, mm -hmm. especially the women, is that their husband doesn't back them up. Mm -hmm. The husband doesn't like the woman's style. She's too wordy, she's too negotiable, <laughs> she's too emotional, so therefore she's got a bad style. I'm not going to step in and uh, assert authority. I said, wait a minute. Her style may be bad, but she does have authority. So protect her. You, you would never let another human being talk to your wife the way that 14-year-old is talking to your wife. Why are you sitting in your barca lounger in the other room thinking, I can't tell which one of them is a teenager? Mm -hmm. Get in there and protect her. And I tell you, Doug, I, the women who tell me how good they feel when their husband steps in and pulls the plug on a kid who is mistreating a mom. Right. It's well, you, you kind of allude to that. Men, you use your God-given maleness to protect your wife from, from childish disrespect and mistreatment. Right. My wife used to say, we, we had a rule in our house that worked very well. I think I recommended it in the book. It said, take the hit for your wife. Mm -hmm. Our rule was this. When the kids were trying to negotiate with mom for some freedom or that, and she didn't want to give it, she would say, go talk to your dad. Mm -hmm. This is his idea. Now, first few times they came to me, I'd say, it is? What, when did I say that? <laughs> well, I learned quickly, it better be my idea. I'd go, yeah, it is my idea. What's the problem here? Now, one of the things, uh, going back, and uh, talk about old style, but you still recommend making a list. There, you know, you've heard of the law of uh, entropy, right? Mm -hmm. Everything decays. There's a parallel law, the law of social entropy. In even decent relationships, we get sloppy. We get lazy. We don't use manners. We don't compliment anywhere near as much. We just get apathetic about good words. So one of my recommendations was what you do is I want you to sit down and ponder what you admire, what you like, what you appreciate about your spouse. And I want you to write them all down. 
don't don't just have three on there and don't say things like, well, you know, you're not as obnoxious as you used to be. Mm-hmm. Because it makes you, it's like putting words to paper. It makes you think. And I told him, I said, you've got to tell your spouse all of these good things and make a list and make time to share the list with them. Now, my wife and I did something similar. Uh, I made the list up and then I just had her sign it, mm-hmm. you know, about what I liked about me. But that's a way to get over was that. Was that a short list? It was, it was uh, two syllables. Okay. Two syllables. I had your name on the top. <laughs> she says, that is a way to get past this. I haven't told you. Like, like the old joke, well, you know, I told her I loved her when we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let her know. There you go. You know, that's what tends to happen, especially when this is one of the, the, the blows to a marriage. Say, for example, a wife is somewhere, and a woman walks up to her and says, you know, I work with your husband. I got to tell you, he is the nicest, the sweetest. The women at work love him. Uh, he, he hasn't scolded anybody. He's just a great guy. And the woman's going, "Okay, wait a minute. I got a phone picture here. I want to make sure make this sure is the you're dude talking you're the talking guy, about." Right. Yeah, talking about the same guy, right? Absolutely. Okay, another book in the works. Yes, yes. It's called. You know, I I really am very uh, proud of my humility. That's right. Uh, it's called the three most humble people I know and how I taught the other two. There you go. Yes. Okay. I do have another book in the works. And that's not the title. No. Uh, you're too humble to tell us. Uh, Dr. Ray Garendi, <laughs> always, always a lot of fun. Thank you, Okay. Sir. Simple Steps to a Stronger Marriage. You can use it now. EW10 Publishing, EW10's Religious Catalog. Look for uh, us on Bookmark each week here on EWTN and also on our On Demand page. And YouTube channel. I'm Doug Keck. We'll see you next time. Thanks.